Am I on, Andrew? Okay. So I'm going to have some crowd participation this morning. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about puzzles and how to put them together. How many of you like puzzles? I don't know how this puzzle got on the communion table, but this is one we did uh, around Christmas time, my family and I, and it was such a pain. I decided I'm gluing this thing and we're never doing it again. Uh, but you could tell that all the, like, the colors, I mean, there, it was, I think it was like 500 pieces but all the colors were just almost the same, and it took us forever. Fortunately, Sherry came out and helped us finish this guy off. Um, but uh, this is one that we did. I don't know. I don't guess I can really put it anywhere besides on the floor. But uh, puzzles, how many of you like them? Like doing puzzles? I got a puzzle back here. Uh, Andrew put a sign up for me that says, what is this? And I think that uh, he even included the online people in this little adventure. But um, So we're going to find out what this is. I need three volunteers because that's the only thing we can fit around the table. Okay, you can be one. Sherry, if you'll be one. I need one more. Oh, come on now. Y'all like puzzles. I thought, okay. If you do it, uh, if, you got, if you three will go back, um, then that would be great. Uh, and you guys can go ahead and start working on it. I do have one of your pieces right here, so don't get discouraged when you get to the place like, where is the piece? Have you ever done that when you put together puzzles? You just think that they're missing some. They didn't put them in the box. So definitely how we felt about, you know, uh, Buck up here. Um, we thought that they, you know, doubled up on a few and things like that. So it it's, can be frustrating. Uh, but as they get started on that puzzle, and we'll find out what it is. Have it, how many of you have any idea before we do that? Anybody have any ideas of what it was? No guesses? Flowers. Flowers? Okay. A cross? All right. Well, we'll see, okay? I won't give it away quite yet. So um, we're going to talk about prophecy. Matthew and I got together, and, and we kind of planned out what we're going to do today uh, for Palm Sunday, and then what we're going to do for Good Friday, uh, sunrise service, and Easter. And we wanted to have something that just kind of flowed through all of those. And so we decided to start with just a conversation about prophecy. So we're going to start in Isaiah 53, if you want to turn there or look up here on the screen. Isaiah 53, I'm going to read through verses 4 through 11. This whole chapter, in fact, we, this was our verse that we used, or the chapter we used for our Sunday school uh, this morning, and so we already got to dive into this pretty good, but this is what we will start with. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet was esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was his chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered 
that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief with his soul making an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. He will, the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This is just one of many prophecies. In fact, there's over 300, well, 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that are leading to or pointing to uh, Jesus. Now, this is, we already get to know what the picture is, right? I mean, it's like when you buy a box. In fact, that's what made this one hard is because the box wasn't setting right by the pieces, right? Because if the box was setting there, would you already know what it was going to be? Sure you would. Even, but, but now that the box is not there, it's really hard to figure out, you know, like, where all these pieces are connecting and what is it going to end up becoming. And that's the way that it was for the people who were living back in Isaiah's time, back in, you know, Amos's time and Hosea's time and any of the other prophets that were prophesying. They were prophesying these words and they knew it was leading to something, that it was, that it was talking about somebody or something, but they just could not, like connect all of the dots. There was just all these dots, all of these pieces of the puzzle that they just weren't sure. And that's what that was God's intent, because God was orchestrating all of this, right? He was up to something. He was, he had, when, when, when somebody does a puzzle, the creator of the puzzle already has a picture, don't they? Before they ever stamp out all of those pieces, and just like our creator already had a picture in his mind of Jesus, that was going to be it. But then he just gave little pieces throughout history for thousands of years, moving towards this person, Jesus. They're, evidently, you guys are watching, are you? Because I just see all these smiles. I'm just like, am I saying something funny today? I don't know. <laughs> I look funny. I keep wanting to check all of my spots. But uh, Okay. But, but it is, it's, it's so awesome, isn't it, that, that God had this, this already in his mind, this picture of Christ. He knew, and, and he gave all these pieces, and it just points out that he was in control all the time. I just love prophecy. I, I love to think about it. I love what it does. You know, it, it just shows God's uh, um, participation throughout generation after generation after generation. But if you just take each of these little pieces, like if every puzzle just had, was, was a, like a, a, a part of the prophecy and you just, that's all you had and you had to try to decide, man, what is that, what is that trying to, you know, paint a picture of? What is that he's trying to convey? It would be hard. And it was hard for them to try to, you know, cipher through this. They just understood that they were saying something prophetic. You know, Josh McDowell in his book, More Than a Carpenter, which is a great little book, he explains that prophecy gives Jesus an address. You know, and I like that concept too. 
I, I thought we would walk through that just to try to help us understand the impact, you know, and the nature of prophecy for us. So, so we're just going to do this. We're going to try to locate Bob, okay? And if we were trying to locate Bob, and I don't know we come up with a reason why we need to locate Bob, let's just say that he's got like a million dollars he wants to give you. That would be pretty good, a significant reason to try to locate this Bob, right? And so we're going to try to locate this Bob so he can, he can give us the money that he wants to give us. And so, so if we were to locate Bob, that would be pretty tough to do. How many Bobs do you think there are in the world? Man, there is a lot of Bobs. I mean, I tried to Google it the other day, and it was just like, that's kind of pointless. I wouldn't even know where to start. Would you know where to start? What's, what state would you start in? What country would you start in? I mean, it would be hard to narrow it down. But let's just say you got another piece of information, another piece of the puzzle, okay? And you just found out his last name. Would that would help, wouldn't it? So let's just say his name is Bob Callen, Okay. Now, that narrows things down quite a bit because there's, there's a lot, I mean, maybe billions of Bobs in the world, but is there billions of Bob Cowans in the world? Well, let me tell you, there's more than I thought because I Googled that too. And, and there's, there's thousands of them. I mean, there, there are, I, I wrote down some of the people that, that what they do, that some, there's an anchor, Bob Cowan anchor. There's a real estate guy. There is a Hall of Famer. Did you know that? There's an architect, there's a priest, and, and on and on. I mean, they were, just, they were everywhere. Bob Cowan's everywhere. It's like trying to find Waldo, you know. How, how would you ever find the right one? Well, let's just say you got another piece of the puzzle that even narrows it down more. You find out that Bob Cowan lives in Kansas. And now you think, you think you already know who he is, don't you? This Bob that we're looking for? But let me tell you, there's, there's uh, a lot of Bob Cowans in Kansas. There, there is a lawyer in Kansas, Bob Cowan. There's a, there's a guy that owns and operates his own business. There's health care workers. There's a doctor, a nurse, and other health care people. There's one that lives in Hutchison, one that lives in Olathe, uh, Le- uh, Levensworth, uh, Overland Park, Piedmont, Howard, Wichita, Caney. Coffeyville, Richmond, and there's a bunch of them. Let's say you got another piece of the puzzle. You find out that he's 65 years or older. Well, that just eliminated some, right? Now we don't have near as many. We're getting really close. Now we're down to seven people. There's seven Bob Cowans in Kansas that are 65 years or older. What if you got another piece of the puzzle and it, and it was just that he lives in southeast Kansas? Well, there's actually two Bob Cowans in southeast Kansas. There's one in Caney and one in Coffeyville. But there's only one that's over 65 and, and there's only one that lives south of Deering. There's only one that is married to an Elaine Fay and children Richard B. and Christ, Christine L., I bet you guys know who this Bob Cowan is, don't you? You can collect the money as soon as church is over. (laughs) But the point is, is that that's an address, right? The more information, the more it just narrows it down, the more it gives you an address. And and, and it's the same way with you. I bet there's more people in this world with your name as well, but there's only one that lives in your 
neck of the woods with your address, right? Uh, and that's what Josh Medow is just trying to say. All of these prophecies was just narrowing it down, narrowing it down, narrowing it down. I, I like what Peter Stoner says in, in his classic book, um, Science Speaks. But he says just a handful of these prophecies. Remember, there's 300, but just a handful of some of the most prominent ones. It, 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 the, the stats, like if for the odds of somebody fulfilling just those handful of prophecies, he said would be uh, 10 to the 17th power. Now, I don't know if you even know what, how much that is, but let me tell you, Congress knows what 3 to the 9th power is, right? <laughs> I mean, a $3 trillion, I mean, that seems, we're just like blown out. That's a lot of money. That's crazy. Well, that's only three to the ninth power. Now, what would 10 to the 17th power? It's 10 and 17 zeros at the end of that. He says that would be like if somebody were to just fulfill a handful of these uh, prophecies, these uh, significant prophecies. He he goes on to talk about that, um, you know, that, the odds of this would be like Jesus fulfilling just, you know, like 12 or so of these prophecies would be like a silver dollars. If you took, if you took you know, um, 10 to the, uh, what did I just say? <laughs> I forgot. The, the 17th power. If you took that many silver dollars and you laid them out across Texas, just side by side, it would be two feet deep, right? Two feet deep of silver dollars, and then you blindfold a guy or a lady, whatever, and you, you have one silver dollar that's marked with an X. And it's just placed, you know, you just stir them all up, and they're just, it's out there somewhere, right, in Texas. And you just tell them you can drive anywhere you want, any direction you want across Texas, you just got to stay within Texas. And at some point, you just got to stop and pick up a silver dollar. The odds of him picking up the silver dollar, two feet deep, completely you know, loaded to Texas, the odds of him picking up that one is the odds of somebody fulfilling just, you know, like 12 of these prophecies that Jesus, was talked about Jesus way before, thousands of years before he ever even came to earth. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? He goes on to say 48, one guy coming along and fulfilling 48 of these Significant prophecies would be 10 to the 157th power. So 157 zeros. What's the odds of that? I mean, there's no odds. I mean, it's, it's just it, it's mind-blowing, and it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around that, that that's what prophecy has done, is it's given us like this reassurance, this confidence that the one that God was talking about and pointing us to all of those years was Jesus, this one particular person. I, I think prophecy is just, it's just fascinating to me. I mean, we, we kind of enter into this all the time. Like, like just a few weeks ago, remember we were talking about um, there in Deuteronomy, what was it, Deuteronomy 18, and, and it was talking about Moses and, and that God was going to find another prophet like Moses. And, and it doesn't give us his name, but we all know that it was Joshua, right? But it was Joshua, and, and, and this is what we talked about. It was like, it was like a double meaning in a way. Um, because Joshua, as we talked about, is a Hebrew word, and it means uh, Yeshu. Yeshua, I'm sorry, Yeshua. And what does Yeshua mean? It means to rescue, to deliver. 
And we know that Yeshua is actually the, the name, the Hebrew name for Jesus. And so when we, when we read that text, we know that there's like a double meaning. I mean, the people that were living then and hearing it for the first time, they would have been able to decipher that he's pointing to Joshua, you know, that came after one of the, the spies, you know, that came after Moses. And that's who was going to be a prophet like uh, Moses. But we also know that God was also pointing towards Jesus. And that was the prophet that was going to be like Moses that he was going to raise up. And so there's like this all the way through. We, we talked about this in our men's group when we were talking about Abraham. But all the way through the Old Testament, there's just all these, these um, uh, shadow figures of Jesus that are being laid out in Scripture. I mean, it, it, there's a meaning that was for the time that, that the audience was hearing it for the first time, but it was also God was pointing us always to Jesus. And I think those are pretty fascinating. Is it a coincidence? <laughs> it, it's no more of a coincidence uh, than if... Is it a coincidence that when these ladies back here are, are done with this puzzle that it's actually going to be a picture of something? Is that a coincidence? No. It's not a coincidence because the creator already had in mind, you know, this picture. He already had it and he just stamped out these pieces and he was going to reveal it to the people who put it together. And it's the same way with God. Here's some other types of Jesus in the Old Testament that are, I think are just pretty cool. In, in the Old Testament, it says in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, it says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel, and he said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to the clans, and kill the Passover lamb. And then thousands of years later, we read this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you already are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And what's really just awesome about how this scripture is working, you know, we, we know what the Passover is, and we know that... The, Back then when, when Exodus 12, verse 21 was talking, it was talking about a time when God went, you know, went to Moses and Moses went to Egypt to free his people. Remember this? And, and Pharaoh was just super stubborn of heart and he was not going to let God's people go. And so we had all of these plagues, these ten plagues that took place. And, and he was still, he would not re- relinquish these people. And so the last one, was that all of the firstborn sons would be killed that night. You know, the angel of death was just going to swoop down and go through all of the land and just kill every one of the firstborn sons unless they had this lamb's blood that was over their doorway. Remember this, right? And this was a story they passed down for generations and generations, how God orchestrated this. And so God had them go pick out a lamb, and, and kill that lamb, and, and they were all supposed to have this meal, and they were supposed to have this blood over the... And that night when the angel of death came, he did not come to those households that had that blood. They were protected. But to everybody else, everybody's firstborn was killed, and Pharaoh's firstborn was killed. 
And it just kind of broke his spirit, at least for a time being, and he let the people go. And then years, years later, we know that there, is, there was a whole other reason that God did that particular thing. He was wanting us, he was wanting that to point to his son Jesus, who was going to be the lamb that was spotless and, you know, without any blemish. And he was going to be the one who, his blood was going to be the one who protected us. We know this. And that is awesome, though, that, that God, when he did that in the Old Testament, he didn't just come up with that. He, he came up with it so, because he already had this other thing, that this picture he wanted us to see. And this was just going to be a piece of it so that people would understand this was always the plan. Always. You know, it's interesting, but when Jesus, when he was crucified, what was it around? It was around the Passover time, wasn't it? You know, when they would pick out the, the lamb, you know, as that just continued to, to progress and, and to move through history, when they would pick out their, their perfect lamb, when did they do that? Like five days ahead, wasn't it? When is it that Jesus came rolling in on a donkey? Just about five days ahead, wasn't it? And none of that is coincidental. All of that was orchestrated by the creator of the universe. From every moment, he was just has all these little details, all these little pieces that he's just putting all together for us so that we would just put it all together, right? That the light bulb would just go on. And we would understand what he was up to. Here's another one that is really cool. Zechariah 9, 9. It says this in Zechariah 9, 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous. And, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a donkey. So that was uttered, you know, thousands of years this little piece of the puzzle that we don't really understand at the time that was just put out there. And then in Luke, which is where Matthew was earlier, in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, it says, And they brought it to Jesus, throwing their cloaks on the colt. They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, he spread their cloaks on the road. And he was drawing near, already on his way down to the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And boy, did they see him. I mean, how did they even get this colt? You remember? He was just told him, he says, hey, when we get into town, I want you just to stop by such and such and grab that colt that'll be already tied up in there. If they say anything, just tell them it's for the Lord. And it just happened exactly like Jesus said, and that's what they said. Hey, it's for the Lord, and he just let us have this thing. But who was orchestrating this whole thing? It's God. And, and every little piece was just falling into place. Here's another one, Isaiah 49. Verse 5, it says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too 
it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and then bring back the preserve of, of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations and my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 13, verse 47, it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Prophecy. Prophecy is so important because it just shows us and demonstrates over and over through a period of thousands of years that God is in control. That God is the one who is the builder. That God is the one who is orchestrating everything. And, and for us to just, you know, see that and understand that, you know, there should just be light bulbs coming on. And there should just be a sense of uh, uh, stability in our faith and in our hope. Just as we look at these things, God is an architect, isn't he? He's a master builder. And, and what is it that happens that if a light bulb starts to come on? I mean, like you see God's movement throughout thousands of years. You just see all these prophecies that you know that, that people prophesied, and then you just see them starting to be fulfilled and all these coming together. And, and the odds of all of this coming together under this one man, you know, like he's the one fulfilling all of them. He's doing miracles, and he's healing the lame, and he's, he's doing everything that was prophesied about him is happening. What happens? What's the result of that? Well, the result is you have to decide what you're going to do with him. What are you going to do with this Jesus that you know is not just a nice guy, but he's more than, right? He's not just somebody that had such great compassion for others. He's more than. I I like what C.S. Lewis says about this particular thing. This is what he says. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says that he is a poached egg or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a good human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. And I think that that's just really significant because why did God bother doing all of this? Because God cares so much about his creation that he wants everybody to understand that he has always been at work. We are so fortunate. I mean, God points this out all the time. Just like when, when he goes to um, Philip after the resurrection, right? A second time. Uh, showing Philip, you know, that look at the hands, look at my side, look at you, you examine me. And it says that he said, oh, my Lord and my God. And he recognized him as God. And he says, blessed are you, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe, right? 
He was always pointing out how, how, how blessed we are in the sense that we get to collect it all, all of the data, all of the information. We get to see the puzzle all put together and see how it just always was pointing to this. And I just think that that's a pretty significant thing. I want us to walk through one more thing, and then we're just going to close this out. In Romans, we're going to do this backwards, though. Instead of starting with the Old Testament, we're going to start with the New Testament and then go back to the Old Testament. But in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, it says, Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For you will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us give an account of himself to God. Did you know that that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess? Is, Is actually uttered in the Old Testament first. And we know that it's talking about Jesus. That Jesus is always going to be in in all authority in heaven and earth, just as he says. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and every knee will bow before him. Where did that come from? Isaiah 45, it says, declare, in verse 21, it says, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior? There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has come out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall Swear allegiance. What it amounts to is just that God is giving every one of us the biggest opportunity we could ever be given. He he has tried to make this as easy as you know, easy as peasy, they say. (laughs) He's trying to make this so simple for us. So what is the picture back there? Yeah, he's missing this little spot right here, but you can still tell what he is, right? A rooster. Um, it's not very hard now, is it? That's how it, it should be for us. As we look at prophecy, as we study everything that God has given us, throughout generations and generations and thousands of years and putting all these pieces together, it should be a no-brainer. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he rode in on a donkey, humble, to be our sacrifice, to give us an opportunity to have all of our sins forgiven, to be made right before him, And all it requires of us is for us to humble ourselves and to claim him as our Lord and our Savior. Right? 
and anything else is not going to work. And that's why God did it in the first place. He's given us every advantage that he can possibly give. And I just love prophecy. I love that we get to see what is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for making it clear to us, and we thank you for giving us so much just um, evidence, confidence, because of your word. We thank you for just making it clear, Lord, in so many different ways. This is just one, but there are so many different ways that you have just made this really not a difficult thing at all. The difficulty has and always will uh, rest on our will, whether we will just yield to you or not. And Father, I just pray for all those who might be viewing, all those that are here this morning, that we would just humble ourselves, especially as we approach the table now, that we would just humble ourselves and we would just reflect upon what he has done for us, reflect upon what you have done for us. Father, we just appreciate everything. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Sean's going to come, and he's going to lead us into our communion time. Did I get that off? Okay. used to do a lot more training than I do today. I used to do a lot of group training with people and plants and, and so forth. And one of the things that we always wanted to train on was leadership and team building and how we work together as a team. So one of the things that I used to do was I would take four puzzles. I'm building on Mike's theme of puzzles now that I've got to hear his message. So I used to take, would take four puzzles and I would take one piece from each puzzle and swap it into one of the other puzzles. And then unbeknownst to the people in the training. And then I would, I would break them into smaller teams. And I would get e- give each of the four teams a puzzle. Now, the goal was they had to build the puzzles as fast as they could, and they had to work together to do it. That was the instructions. Put the puzzles together as fast as you could and work together to do it. Usually this works really well. Because they, they eventually figure out that, hey... I'm missing a piece, and I bet that I can get that piece somewhere else. So they would go look for the piece, see if somebody else had a piece that didn't match, and then they would get it for theirs. And then ultimately they would realize that the whole team wins, and, and the team is everybody. One year, I had a guy who was a maintenance manager. Now, it's important to understand that he's the maintenance manager. He's the guy who has to fix things, put everything back together so that everybody can get their job done. You know what he did with the piece when he figured out that piece didn't go to his puzzle? He hid it. He hid the piece. He, hid the piece. he took it and stuck it in his pocket so that when people would come around and say, do you have a, an extra piece? And he said, no, I sure don't. I, I don't know where that piece is. There's a lot of people in the world who think that Christ is hidden from them, that he's kept from them, 
and that there's no way that you could really know who he is or, or where he came from or what he was about. We've been studying in the book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights, and we're creeping along. So if you want to join us, you won't have missed much, okay? But we, we were in chapter 9 this week, and in chapter 9 of Isaiah, starting in verse 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called. Now we all know what his name shall be called. There's three names that Isaiah gives this son of man who is also God. He calls him the wonderful counselor. He's not hidden. He's there for all of us to listen to. It calls him the mighty God. He's not unknown, and he's stronger and better than anything we know. He's the everlasting father. He's the Abba. He doesn't, he doesn't disappoint. Sometimes he's a little tough on us, but he never disappoints. And then he's also the Prince of Peace. When Christ entered Jerusalem on that Sunday, and as Mike pointed out, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. Five days before the Passover started, it's the triumphal entry. Everyone, everybody who was anybody is coming in to Jerusalem. And when Christ comes in, they take palm branches, which was a simple symbol of peace and justice and triumph, and they laid them at his feet as he walked through. People took off their cloaks, their, their coats, and laid them on the ground for him to walk upon. They were honoring him in that way. He wasn't hidden. He was out there for everybody to see and everybody to know him. If we look further into chapter 9 of Isaiah, it's this really, really long poem. And if you break that poem down, you'll see that it talks about a failure of spirituality. The Israelites forgot who they were spiritually, and there becomes a failure. And when that spiritual failure happens, then they, they politically begin to fail because they don't know where to put their trust anymore. If they don't have God, then they, they put it in man, and man is going to fail them. And then it becomes a personal failure. But if we look back to those four names that God has given Christ, we know that he's a mighty counselor, right? He is he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. He's an everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. Now, we know that when Christ came to that table on that last night that to celebrate the Passover meal that he'd been desirous of, of having with his disciples, he did a couple of things. He showed us, one, what it was like to be a true leader because he served in that night. He took the lowliest position in the room and served those around him. But then he did something even more amazing as he said, I am again, and I want you to partake of this meal with me. I want you to share in this wine, which is, represents my blood, which is shed for you for the remission of sins. And then he said he also wanted them to take his body, which is given up. 
because he was no longer going to be an earthly person. He was going to be a spiritual person. He was going back to God. He was going to be able to be that everlasting Abba for us. When we come to our table, we have to think about the preparation that got us here and the fact that it was not hidden from us who Christ was. We should never in any way attempt to hide who Christ is from somebody we meet. We should always act like we are Christians and that we know somebody who can help anybody through whatever they're going through. Needless to say, look around you. Just look around. We all need to act more Christ-like today, as we always should have. When we come to the table, we are sharing. We are communing with God. He is helping us, remind us that he is the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Abba, and we need to honor him in that. If you'll join me in prayer, then we'll come to the table and we'll partake of the communion that Christ asks us to do in remembrance of him. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you that you've never hidden yourself from us. You have not hidden yourself from anyone. All they have to do is look. All they have to do is ask. Lord, we pray that as we come to this table that you will help us to be more outgoing, more faithful, a stronger, better witness for you, showing those who need to see you that they can see you through our actions our thoughts, and our deeds. Lord, we thank you that your son came, that he came willingly to this earth, and that he went willingly to that cross where he died for us. Not for necessarily the healing of our bodies, but for the healing of our spirits, so that one day we will be able to enjoy your kingdom today or forevermore. Lord, be with us and guide us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.